I, uh, like some of you, am battling a cold, and uh, so I have uh, last night tried to work through this <clears throat> sermon with my new voice, and I got about three-quarters of the way and entered into a coughing fit, and I thought, that will not do. So I'm a little bit anxious about how this will play out. I'm going to pray that God would sustain me, and I know some of you probably battling a cold, so let's pray. <clears throat> Father, you uh, control all things, even colds, human bodies for sure, and I, I wish for you to be made much of during this time. I wish for the truth of your word to speak into our hearts and into our lives in powerful ways. And so, would you enable that to be the case? Work uh, to help me be able to communicate even with uh, the cold. And then for those of us that are here, I pray that we would be receptive hearers and doers of your word. May you take this and use it in your kingdom in powerful ways, we pray in Christ's name, amen. And so, as uh, my lovely wife has read our text today, John, uh, I mean, yeah, John 9, 1 through 23, I've titled it, When the Detours or Disabilities in Our Lives Become the New Road, to the glory of God. And I want to talk about the glory of God because uh, later in the sermon because we say that all the time and honestly, it is something that is really hard to get your hand or your mind around is what are we talking about when we're talking about the glory of God? So we're going to talk about that a little bit. But for the most part, we're going to spend a good bit of our time talking about these uh, detours, these disabilities, these things that seem to take us off course in life. And so, when I say the new road to the glory of God, what I'm saying is we all hate it when we get that detour sign while driving. The detour sign, it never means, yay, we've shaved 30 minutes off your drive time today and you're going to be home eating dinner an hour early. No, the detour sign never means that. It means that we just made your life harder, and you're going to have to drive around uh, another 13 miles to get to your location in a lot of traffic and, and uh, torn up roads. Detour means not just longer, but harder. And we know that. We know that. A life detour, like being born blind, as in John 9, a life detour, as in our text, is unexpected. And I'm sure the parents, when their son was born, realized pretty quickly, this is going to change our lives. Our son is blind. This is going to be challenging. It's going to be financially more than we can handle. In the text, it says that he was actually a beggar. So it must have been more than they could handle. And it was going to be a life-altering detour. But we see also in the text, the disciples, and that's the interesting part, it's not 
necessarily the unreligious or the ones that don't believe in Jesus. It is the disciples who come to him and they say, who sinned? Was it that man or was it his parents? And Jesus says, we know from the text, neither. It is so that the work of God will be displayed through his life. And the work of God on display is the work that leads us to understanding God's glory. It often feels like a bad detour when we get these life detours. But in reality, in God's economy, it was always the road for us. It wasn't really a detour at all. It only feels like a detour because our minds are finite and we can only see so far. You know, I think some of the hardest things that I have seen in life and in ministry are through uh, seeing children being born perhaps with physical disabilities. And then probably maybe right up there with that would be just people struggling with mental illness. Very, very hard to get your head around. But as a pastor, I am so grateful, so, so grateful that the Bible speaks to this so profoundly. If the Bible didn't speak to this, where would we, where would we find hope? Where would we find answers to these issues? The answers aren't always the miraculous healing like what we see with this man born blind in John 9. Often, it is God giving us sustaining grace, not delivering grace. We, we cry out for deliverance and delivering grace when often God is giving sustaining grace. So, it's good, as Charles Spurgeon has said, it is a good thing to be without a trouble, but it is a better thing to have a trouble and know how to get grace enough to bear it. It's a good thing to be without trouble, but it is a better thing to know how to get grace enough to bear it. And then maybe, maybe my favorite uh, quote of all, uh, that Charles Spurgeon has ever said was, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. What is Charles Spurgeon saying there? Another way to say this is that hard circumstances and suffering are used by God to push us into his presence, to crash us against the rock of ages. We don't always, and, and, and hang on, I will say, and the reason God does this is in his presence is fullness of joy. We don't always see life that way because of our spiritual blindness, even as Christians, and because of our sin nature. But think about it like this. And this, this, this week, when I was contemplating, God uses hard things in our lives, all of us, to bring us into his presence and help us to see him. Think about it like this. For example... 
if you, if you have a parent, if you had a parent or if you have a parent that is truly selfless and a great parent, they're loving, they're just, they're wise, they care for you in the deepest ways, for that child, for that person, it is good to have been raised by that parent. God is all of that and infinitely more. And so for God to use hard circumstances like being born blind to push us into his presence, that we might, be, we might come under the parenting of a God like that, that is a wonderful thing. And what we see in the man born blind in John 9 is indeed that is what happens. He comes to faith. He sees Jesus for who he is. When those around him, the Jewish leaders, cannot see it, he sees it. What is the difference? I believe some of it was his disability. Some of it was he firsthand experienced a miracle from God in his healing. Now, we may not be healed like that, and I've said it may be sustaining grace, not delivering grace. But it would be a great thing to be in the presence of a God like that. It is in our disabilities, not just disabilities, weaknesses, suffering, all of these push us towards him. Oh, to kiss the wave that thrusts me close to the only being that is pure, holy, just, right, and loving. Let's look at it um, from, our, from our text. So you see there in John 9, verse 2, it says, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? In other words, what is the cause of this blindness? What is the cause of this man's sin or the parent's sin? Is this blindness a punishment? Is it a punishment for their sin? And Jesus says, in effect, specific sins in the past don't always correlate with specific suffering in the present. In other words, we know that in Genesis 3, sin entered the world. And when sin entered the world, the world was broken. And we live with sin and disease and cancer and blindness and disability, all because we live in a broken world. He's saying, don't necessarily look at someone's condition and make a direct one-to-one -one connection that there's a sin involved, necessarily. It could just be... They live in a broken, sin-filled world. And so the decisive explanation for this blindness is not found by looking for the cause, but by looking for its purpose. It's not by looking for the cause, but looking for its purpose. So to look for its purpose, look with me at verse 3. In verse 3, Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. That the works of God 
might be displayed in him. Here's an interesting thought. God never has met a child for whom he did not have a plan. That includes you. God has never met a child for whom he did not have a plan. That's an incredible thought. You know how many billions of people there are on the planet? You, me, or they may struggle with a severe disability like blindness. We may have loved ones that struggle with a severe disability. I know that many in this room do. The last thing that I want to do here is to make light of that. I tread here on holy ground, believing that this disability or challenge that you or your loved one has is like this blind man. It is a holy call on someone's life. What I'm desiring to do is to show that from the Bible, their suffering is not in vain. There's a reason. There's a purpose for it all in this life and in the next. With our finite minds, we may not be able to see or understand the reasons, but that doesn't mean that they do not exist. If you're a Christian, this is so, so hopeful. You know, some pastors will stand like me today and spiritual leaders, and they'll say things like this. God has no part. God has no part in your disability or your suffering. Only that Jesus saw that disability and suffering, and then he helped them. I think that is incredibly unhelpful and a dangerous way to think about God. Incredibly unhelpful and a dangerous way to think about God. When I am eventually diagnosed with whatever it is that's going to take me out of this world, I need to know rock solid. My God is in control. There is not a mutated gene or anything that is out of his control that can touch me without first going through him. It doesn't do me any good to think, well, God has no control over that. That doesn't help my soul, and it won't help yours. I think... What we need, what you need, what I need, is a theological wardrobe that protects us from the storms of life. And I think most of that is in a bedrock understanding of the sovereignty of God. So, last night, I'm sitting on my, in my chair at 7 o'clock, PM and I'm getting ready to watch Atlanta United. And I'm excited about the game and uh, looking forward to it. My older brother keeps telling me, man, he's got season tickets. This is the awesome, most awesome thing ever. You need to go to this. Well, at about 7.10, I get a phone call 
and it's Tyler Skelton here in the church. And I figured he probably just butt-dialed me because he was at the game. Um, can I say that from up here? And, uh, but no, he says, somebody canceled. I got a free ticket. Would you come? And I thought about it for a few minutes, thought about how cold and wet and raining it was and that I already had a cold. And I said, I'll be there just as soon as I get dressed. <laughs> now, when I got ready to go out into the storm, and it was, it was wet and cold, I threw on a T-shirt, some flip-flops, and a pair of real short shorts, and I headed out the door, you know, and I knew I was going to have to walk a long way, and I'm already sick. No, that's stupid. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. I said, where's my best raincoat? Where's my wool cap? Where's my gloves? And I got all ready to go out into this storm, and it was bad. I mean, I'm glad I had it. When we don't do that, it can be miserable outside. Matter of fact, we can get sick, as one president did at his inauguration because he took his hat off, and die. Theologically, we're not any different. Theologically, when we don't have a sovereign, a bedrock understanding of who God is and what happens in our suffering... It's like not having on the right clothes and trying to face life and the elements and the storms of life without the proper clothing. And so we're going to talk mostly about this, this verse 3 here because in our text, Jesus is trying to teach the disciples. It was the disciples who said, who sinned? Who's the cause of this guy's blindness? And Jesus is like, whoa, whoa, guys. <laughs> the picture is way bigger than that. The picture is I'm going to teach you something here about my glory. You're going to see the works of God displayed through this man's life. I'm going to heal him. He's going to see. But then spiritually, I'm going to bring him to life through it. I'm going to bring him to life. And so, that is what Jesus tells him. Notice, Jesus says, don't focus on the cause, focus on the purpose. God would be seen as the great being of supreme goodness, worth, love, and of ultimate value. When we connect our suffering, when we connect our blindness, when we connect our disability, our weakness, to, to him and to his kingdom, all of a sudden it goes from this little bitty life to this tapestry of the kingdom of God that is unimaginable. That's what happened to this guy. His blindness became the thing that tapped him into all eternity and everything that God is doing and has done and will do for all eternity. So what I'm saying to you because there's not one of us in the room that doesn't have some kind of weakness, disability, or suffering. Are you allowing that to tap you into what God is doing in the world? Or are you just letting it make you sad and bitter and become an ugly person? 
because you see the blind man, could you imagine? You're blind. To me, that would be one of the hardest things is to be blind. He's not a bitter, blind man. No, he's rejoicing now. So Jesus says his disability was planned. Not a mistake. Not an oversight. The plan was that God's works would be seen through his healing from blindness. This is when the detour in our life, we wake up and realize, (laughs) I'm not on a detour. This is my life. This is what God meant. It's not a detour. And when we get a hold of that, then we say, okay, God, How do I make much of you in this? You personally chose this for me. It's not a detour. It's not a mistake. You're allowing this in my life. How do I make much of you in this detour? God's never caught by surprise. Never. God... You think about a circumstance in your life that has been hard. There's not a person sitting in this room that doesn't have one. God was not surprised. Peggy and I have a close friend. Years ago, he told us the story of what happened when their Down syndrome daughter was born. They didn't have any warning. They had no idea that she had Down syndrome. Her name was Kristen. And... uh, They were in the delivery room, and his wife is, you know, in labor, and the nurses are busy doing what they do, and the doctors are busy doing what they do, and there's kind of this, you know, nervous excitement that the baby's coming, and when the baby came, everything got quiet, and they took the baby immediately out of the room, and the doctor came over to our friend Curtis, and he said, Curtis, can I meet you in my office for a moment? We need to talk. And so Curtis left the ER and he went down to the doctor's office. And when he said, when he walked in the doctor's office, the doctor looked at him and he said, Curtis, and he said he just lost it. The doctor, just weeping, just sobbing. And he said, Curtis, your baby girl has Down syndrome. And Curtis knew, because they were friends, He had a daughter with Down syndrome, the doctor himself. The doctor knew this was going to be one of the hardest challenges of their life. This was going to be a detour that he was not expecting, and it was going to be hard. I think now Curtis would tell you probably one of the greatest joys in his life is his daughter, Kristen. Not a detour, God's plan. Could God have looked down from heaven in the mother's womb? We know something about that from what? Psalm 139. And saw the chromosome that was off and made the adjustment? Yeah. He's God. Certainly he could have done that. Certainly. But there was something bigger in the grand scheme. Now, Exodus, 
the, the main reason I say this about God and that he, I'm not saying, and I'm not, I want to be careful, and I will say this more in a moment, that God, God, it's not that God likes this, but I am saying that God allows this, and there's a big difference. Exodus 4.11, I mean, uh, yes, Exodus 4.11 says it this way, then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Do you see the sovereignty of God there? And then Psalm 139, 13, I mentioned it just now. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. God knew. He knew everything about you and your story. It's not a detour. It is his plan. God is powerful enough to fix a gene mutation in a child that leads to Down syndrome. He chooses not to for a reason. I think that the reason is this. God has created in us this incredibly un unfulfilled and just thriving desire for happiness. We all have it, and I don't think it's wrong. I think, matter of fact, God gives us this desire for happiness, but he is really the only way to meet that deep desire. So our desire for happiness is far too small, and we do not know how to find the kind of happiness that will explode our souls with joy. And so God steps in, and God uses a wave to thrust us against himself, against the rock of ages, because when we get into that parent, that good parent's presence, then we experience all of the goodness of that God. And it is that that leads to the ultimate joy that we long for. And so what about the question of this man being born blind? Did God do it? Did God actively make him blind? Joni, or Johnny, Erickson Tata helps me with this. Um, I'm advertising almost. This is a book she wrote called When God Weeps. Don't judge a book by the cover. Never liked the cover. I think the book is awesome. But in this book, she's now 51 years at 17 or 18 years old. She dove off a raft into shallow water in, in the Chesapeake Bay, snapped her spinal cord, and has been a quadriplegic for the last 51 years. She's taught me more about God than I think maybe anybody on the, on the planet. And it is because of her suffering. And she'll say that, that her wheelchair has taught her more about the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God than anything she could ever encounter. And that she would not give up not one of the 51 years for what she knows about God because of her chair. And a friend of hers told her right after it happened, 
she's grappling with God. She actually says that she has turned to gin and Coke or scotch and Coke, and she's trying to drink away her problems. She's thinking about committing suicide, and she's asking the hard questions. And her friend Steve Estes says, Joni, God allows all sorts of things he doesn't approve of. God hated the torture, injustice, and treason that led to the crucifixion. Yet, he permitted it so that the world's worst murder could become the world's only salvation. In the same way, God hates spinal cord injuries, yet he permitted it for the sake of Christ in you as well as in others. Did God do it? I say no. Joni says no. I think a fallen world did it. God allowed it to happen. But then Steve Estes said 10 words that has helped me probably more than anything else on this issue of suffering and God's role. And the 10 words are here. God permits the things he hates to accomplish the things he loves. God allows things he hates so that he can accomplish the things he loves. To me, that is, that's the good stuff. That's the good stuff. When I think about my own life, when I think about some of your lives, when I think about some of the hard stuff that we go through, that's the good stuff. When suffering sandblasts us to the core, the true stuff of which the true stuff of which we are made of is revealed. This is a quote from Joni. Suffering lobs a hand grenade into our self-centeredness, blasting our soul bare. But then we can be better bonded to the Savior. Our afflictions have helped to make us holy. And we are never more like Christ, never more filled with his joy, never more filled with his peace, never more filled with his power. And then sin is uprooted and taken away out of our lives. Does this mean God delights in my spinal cord injury? Was he rubbing his hands in glee when I took that dive off the raft into the shallow water? Of course not. He may work all things together for my good, but that does not mean a spinal cord injury is in itself good or that God planned it. God permits all sorts of things he doesn't approve of. He allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. And if you think about your life, and if I think about my life, the hard things, the hardest things have been the things that have pushed me towards the rock of ages, that have made me see his goodness and his glory. And so Jesus tells them, you're looking in the wrong, you're asking the wrong questions. The purpose is that you might see my glory. And I said I wanted to say a word about glory, and then I'm going to close. We all, I'm, 
<clears throat> we often are talking about God's glory. And the problem, the problem with God's glory to me is that the, the human language cannot, it cannot capture the majesty and the, the vastness, the, the infiniteness of God. And so we, we give it a word, and the word's glory. And that word really kind of falls so short. So Isaiah, the prophet, he tried in his prophecy to stretch the language, to stretch the language so that we could begin to get a feel for what we mean when we say the glory of God. And this is what he said in Isaiah 40, 12. Isaiah said this, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? What Isaiah is saying there is this, and you could do this, I've done this, especially after reading this. Go and turn on your bathroom faucet and try to cup as much water in the palm of your hand as you can. And you'll see, like I did, you can't cup a whole lot of water there. What Isaiah is saying is God is so enormous. All of the water in the universe in the palm of his hand. He's trying to help us see the bigness that is our God, the vastness that is our God. And then he says, Isaiah also goes on, and he says, He has weighed the mountains in a scale. Behold, the nations are a drop from a bucket. He stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. The prophet is employing incalculably huge word pictures to help us get a minuscule glimpse of our understanding of the glory of God. And even then, it's hard for us to begin to picture it. The doctrine of God's glory, it encompasses his greatness, his beauty, his perfection, all of it. And then finally, I would be amiss if in talking about the man born blind and suffering and disability, if I didn't talk about this, this makes it all come into perspective. You cannot talk about our lives here and suffering and disability and the challenges that we face and not mention heaven because it doesn't make sense without heaven. It doesn't make sense without what is to come. This life is really just the intro, like an intro to a book. There's all this and so much more afterwards. This life is only the intro. So to do that, I want to tell you a story. There's a guy named Marshall Shelley. He teaches still, I believe, at Denver Seminary. Denver Seminary. He lost a child in 1991, and he wrote about it in an article published in Christianity Today, and he called it Two Minutes to Eternity. Two minutes to eternity. Here's what he said. He, uh, his son, he named him Toby. 
He entered the world of light and air at 8.20 p.m., November 22nd, 1991. So he entered this world 8.20 p.m. And he departed, the doctor said, at 8.22 p.m., November 22nd, 1991. Why did God create a child to live two minutes? He didn't. He created Toby to live. He didn't create Toby to live for two minutes. He didn't create me to live, me, for 51 years or whatever number God chooses to expend my days. God created Toby for eternity. He created each of us for eternity. where we may find our true calling, which has always seemed out of reach here on earth. Whether God gives you 40 years, 80 years, some of you I'm convinced are going to live to be 180, and I praise God for it. You are meant for eternity. And what we experience in this life is just an intro. God is doing something that you can't even imagine. He's creating a people for himself. He's making us holy. One of the ways he makes us holy is he brings hard stuff. And that hard stuff separates us from our love for the world, and it helps us want more of him because he's all that's good and true and right. And one day, you'll see it, and it'll be clear, and we'll stand before him and we'll rejoice and say, I had no idea. I'm so sorry I doubted. I'm so sorry I questioned your goodness. I had no idea what you were doing, Lord. It was so beyond me. You're amazing. You're amazing. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this blind man and the way that you brought light to his eyes but light to his soul and for what it teaches us about you. God, may you continue to heal our wounds but help us, push us, Father, push us to you to find that healing. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.